Good morning, and welcome here, and welcome to anyone who's here on Zoom. Uh, my name is Charlie. I use he, they pronouns, and I'm one of the teachers here at Brooklyn Zen Center. The topic of this talk this morning is um, sexuality and to some extent, gender and patriarchy. Um, in part because how sexuality is coming up for me is feeling very intertwined with gender and patriarchy. Um, back in September, when we opened our topic this fall of non-duality, Sarah brought up the duality of spirituality and sexuality. I said, this is something, this is one of the dualities we could look at. And I don't know if she said very much else, but a few people have come and said, oh, we can talk about this. <laughs> um, so sexuality is um, a really big topic and a field with like, you know, sometimes intense feelings or impulses or views and really complicated and maybe also, you know, uh, multifarious in how big and complicated and deeply felt it can be. And so I'm, I'm showing up this morning and not with really a lot, I don't feel like a lot of answers. I'm more, I more see this talk as like about opening, a gesture of opening conversation, supporting conversation, and kind of opening the space of what we include in practice. And maybe my most basic question is like, how do we integrate and liberate a sexuality, sexuality and gender, and how I care for myself, how I care for others, how I care for all beings, how integrate and liberate sexuality with zazen, with devotion, with presence, with vow. And in one way or another, this has been on my mind for years as a Dharma talk, and I've had hesitation, and I and I feel I can feel like maybe like two interrelated things. Like one is like this duality, a split between the, the, the sexual and the spiritual, and then also the kind of the field of harm, of trauma, you know, and questions of safety and even bringing this up. Although it's not really safe to never talk about something. So anyway, this will be an attempt. <laughs> And I'm seeing and I'm seeing these as deeply rooted in patriarchy and misogyny. And so also as a man speaking with from this seat with you know with which we give some some authority, you know, I want to um, bring this up and you know and and look at patriarchy and misogyny and attend to power dynamics as part of this conversation. 
how I've been shaped by patriarchy. And, you know, so, and, and my vow, part of my vow to liberate all beings, to be, uh, to illuminate this conditioning and transform it. And I also, I really want to kind of honor and respect um, the, the wondrously variegated Sangha jewel, you know, manifesting here and everywhere. <laughs> and if, you know, and just to say, like, if something I say makes you feel unseen or, or harmed, I, I welcome feedback. My, my aspiration is to create a space where we're all included and honored. So there are, um, there are lots of questions that come up for me around this. Um, how is sexuality spiritual? Or how is spirituality sexual? Is sexuality contrary to awakening and vow? And if so, how? How do we hold space you know, for acknowledging, healing, uh, transforming, you know, fields of harm and trauma around sexuality and gender? What do we, what is sexuality? What is sensuality? Uh, desire, uh, greed, lust, attraction, pleasure. How do we engage all of these? How do we engage everything that can come up with sexuality? It could be it could be fear, it could be shame or anxiety. How do we include those in our practice? And you know, this is also relating to like what is this embodied life? And how does embodied life relate to spiritual life? Is there is there any separation? And are some kinds of sex and sexuality like inherently ethical and some not, some inherently spiritual and some not? And who's discerning this? How is it being discerned? And you know, where can we bring this up in a way that's caring and healing? And so there's being in touch with my body and you know, and all the energetics of this being and then the sex can be also included as intimate contact with another body and it can include like power and agency and consent and boundaries you know feelings and fantasy uh, behaviors actions impacts and this can touch into like, you know, loneliness, desperation, um, addiction, infatuation, objectification, repression, suppression, you know, self-expression. And we may hear that sex and sexuality are, um, well, we could hear that they're evil or dirty, or inherently defiled, corrupted, you know, part of and part of samsara, part of the cyclic suffering. Or we could hear they're just 
It's just ordinary, everyday stuff. It's just natural. Or we could hear it's a sacrament. It's a sacred thing. It's like a wondrous mystery of intimate communion. So all kinds of views, and some of some of some of them are held very rigidly. I've heard them um, according to the traditional Buddhist monastic code, the the Vinaya. You know, it's concerned with ethics, and it doesn't say a lot about views. It's sort of like you can kind of think whatever you want in the Vinaya, but it's it's concerned to think what are you doing. But there's one thing they don't want you to think. <laughs> that sexual intercourse is not an obstacle. That's explicitly, that's the one view they, they really say. So, the, and there's love, falling in love, my first kiss, getting together, breaking up, one night stands, flings, you know, many, many kinds of sex. And then we, and then also we have this like our institutions and rituals of marriage, and then that, and then we also have infidelity and betrayal. And this is also this is a you know realm of acceptance and rejection of loving and being loved. And there's there can be like you know biological and energetic, and psychological. And you know, interpersonal and cultural and you know, societal dimensions, you know, to all these things. So a basic frame from practice, drawing on Genjo Koan, which we chanted this morning, to study the self. The to study the Buddha way is to study the self. And studying the self can include sexuality and gender. And how, you know, how they live and manifest in me and in my relations. And studying the self, you know, extends to and honors like the ecologies of sexuality and sensuality and gender, you know, with these threads weaving through, you know, so many facets of what it is to be human. Of how you know how may, probably most of us are here, and studying the self includes like, studying my conditioning and my history. You know, in this study, this is intimate presence and feelings and emotions and impulses, motivations, um, identity, and you know, particularly where I feel separate, where I feel disconnection. And studying the self also includes action or karma or what I do, how I manifest and my impacts. So when, when, we, when we say studying the self in, in Zen, in Genjo Koan, it's not just looking in. It's, it's this, it, the whole thing. And it's all, and this this whole thing is always relational, always impactful. You know, Genjo can mean actualizing. It can also mean manifesting. And you know, with a little stretch, you know, I think Genjo Koan could be the Koan of embodiment. You know, it, it ends with this. It ends with a story or a Koan of Bao Che fanning himself. It's 
this koan of embodiment. And, you know, koan of embodiment is a koan of sexuality and gender. And we call it, a, when we call something a koan, we can point you know, to an endless quality of inquiry, you know, that goes with the deepest truths of our lives, the realities of our lives. Um, part of the complexity I feel in bringing up sexuality is that so much spiritual discourse around sex and sexuality is, is to me, I receive it as like a, a confusing blend of, of important principles of practice and teaching, non-duality, awakening, but then mixed up with, with culturally conditioned overlays that are not based on awakening or practice or non-duality. And so then there ends up being some things that feel pretty, pretty much like grasping dualistic frames, especially around some of the discourse around sexuality. And my, my, my sense is that, you know, some form of, you know, in my enculturation, there's like hating or suppressing, you know, women, the body, sex, uh, desire, sensuality, vulnerability. These all, for me, the way I experience them in my enculturation, they're all kind of um, hand in hand. And these like dualities kind of pile up on each other. And I feel something similar in Buddhism, in Buddhist traditions, you know, which has strands, you know, of intense misogyny and a distaste or disgust with embodied existence and practices actually to cultivate a disgust with embodied existence and like anti-family attitudes. And and sometimes like not always skillful skillful teaching sometimes around like trauma and woundedness and grief. And so I'm 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 kind of I'm interested in like illuminating patriarchy and misogyny in myself and in this tradition the Soto Zen tradition that I've, I'm like ordained in and I'm devoted to. So this critical illumination of harmful dualities. And it, and it can be like a respectful criticism, right? You know, I don't, don't want to dishonor the tradition, but that criticism can be part of devotion. And, and we do have a tradition where the Buddha said, like, you, you need to check things out for yourself. Early in Buddhism, there's this, there's a clear, wonderful, radical affirmation that women can realize complete awakening. And we have these verses of women disciples of the Buddha, basically awakening verses. And then 
either at the same time or very quickly, there's layers of misogyny. More rules for women, rules sub subjugating the order of nuns, claims you know that women cannot become Buddhas, and grouping women with sexuality with embodiment as like inherently impure, or like this like um, obstacles. And so I kind of I want to I want I I think it's important to acknowledge this misogyny in the tradition if we want to transform it fully and you know illuminate it and you know and and in support of our own inquiry into like sexuality and gender and awakening in soto zen we don't have different rules when it comes to ordination for men and women we just have like one set of precepts not gendered so they're for they're for anyone and i'm um, really grateful for this and in our precepts, the third precept, um, a third grave precept or heavy precept is not misusing sexuality. And more literally, it's like no sexual greed. And I tend to see it just as no sexual harm. And actually all these, these grave precepts, we have 10 of them, they illuminate spheres of harm. So sexual greed or misusing sexuality, here's a sphere of potential harm and a sphere you know, or a world where practice can live. You know, so each precept is a field of like endless inquiry into harm and care. And so this precept, it's, it's like a light on suffering. And, and I, I don't feel them as like commandments. Or like you know, um, a dualistic rule, or getting caught in right and wrong, but an inquiry into harm, you know, which is very loving. This, this is what love does, and it's not about knowing. Knowing is where the inquiry stops. This is actually, when we're inquiring about harm, it's always an open question. And this inquiry is like, can be individual or personal, it can also be collective. So last Saturday, our offering was an overview of the kind of the, the mandala of ethical care at Brooklyn Zen Center, including the ethics committee, Sangha Harmony Allies, Sangha Council, and Sangha care coordinators, you know, so there's this precept, uh, no sexual greed or no sexual harm. And this is, um, I can't inquire fully into this on my own. A deep, ongoing, loving, critical, ethical inquiry is something we only do fully with the help of each other. I can't fully inquire into harm by myself. Because I don't know what's happening with everybody else. And that's where that's where the harm is. Right? 
So there's there's inquiry and being open, open to feedback, input, and open to like you know interaction. So creating creating a community of ethical care. Uh, in Buddhist cosmology, um, we as humans are in the realm of desire, the kamadhatu. And there's three realms. There's the realm of desire, which is kind of the lower realm. <laughs> and there's a higher realm called the rupadhatu, which is like the realm of subtle form. And there beings do have bodies in this realm, but there's no sex and no sexual organs. And then there's kind of another realm it's not, it can't really be higher, but it's the formless realm. It's like more refined. There's no, there's no bodies there at all. And so no sex. And then down in the Kamadhatu, there's the human realm. And then between the human realm and the Rupadhatu, there's these, there's actually some God realms in the Kamadhatu. And um, this is where actually Buddhism put put some of the the kind of Brahmanical cosmology that was around, that kind of put it into some of these Kamadhatu heavens. And but in these six god realms, in the realm of desire, there is sex, but it gets more and more subtle. So there's like intercourse, and then there's like an embrace, and then a touch, and then a smile. And then a look. And um, I partially bring this up. It's part of our tradition. And also like this. It's, a, it's an example of like. This, this tying sexuality to desire to samsara. And that I'm kind of bringing up for critical consideration. But I also really, the one thing I do, I, one thing I really do appreciate in this teaching is that sex isn't just intercourse, but also like a kiss, an embrace, a touch, a smile, and a look, that these, these can all be deep karma. Am I am I sensitive to these to these impacts in a touch and a smile, and can I, even a tiny glance? What's happening, you know? Or you know, is this a place we can allow practice to uh, live? Um. We can explore the precepts in terms of body, speech, and mind. And so, you know, in this expression of the precept is no sexual greed. This is really like the mind part. And here, a lot to explore, you know. So no sexual greed. And, you know, how does greed relate to desire? Is greed like a unskillful or harmful 
apprehension of desire, you know, a particularly dualistic way of grasping on to desire. Like, what is desire? You know, in studying the self, in intimately studying desire, you know, how does how is desire living in my body? You know, what do I find? And is there is that suffering? Is there suffering there? Is there harm just in the body with desire? And what about sexual greed? What about greed? Or where where is disconnection happening? Where is the disconnection arising? When does harm come into the picture? And so this is like, we, I, we each get to have this inquiry. You know, what is leading to suffering? What's leading to freedom and connection? You know, and facing and feeling through, you know, the ecology of sexual desire and energy and greed and attachment and attraction and pleasure. Actually, you know, Buddhist ethics doesn't say there's anything wrong with pleasure (laughs) and enjoyment. But then there's also indulgence and so on. You know, how do we study these and allow allow for allow for complexity how is there how is there attraction without objectification or how is there like love and appreciation without possessing someone <clears throat> or using someone. And sensual pleasure as a place where I can get lost. Or I can I can I can allow myself to be an object, you know, manipulated by like, you know, market forces of consumerism, you know, which is like actively generating a bottomless sense of lack, right? and holding up central fulfillment as a way of life. And, you know, for some, you know, sexual intimacy without emotional intimacy feels harmful. But, you know, that's not true for everyone. So do do we need to do we need to make that the precept, or do we how do we how do we hold this precept? You know, no one no one can decide what's true for you. So we're 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 interested in what's true, and what's what supports looking clearly. You know, through all the obscuring you know, conditioning and entrenched views and, you know, and fear and fear of, fear of difference. 
you know, and if I just, if I start from an idea of right and wrong, and then look at myself, and then try to fix myself, um, it's inherently reductive, it's harmful. And so we're, we're really trusting intimacy, you know, being very, feeling very deeply and carefully, and that intimacy itself as a transformational field. And I also, I really want to call in like repression. And kind of like, there was a, there was repression in my upbringing. I, I didn't see my parents kiss until I was 29. It was right after my sister, my sister's wedding. And um, I think somebody, I think a photographer probably made them do it. <laughs> but I was like, whoa, I've never seen that before. And that, but now here I am on the Dharma seat. So am I bringing repression with me? Or here I am, like leaving a service. How is repression living in my body? How is sexuality living in my body? And I love, I love our attention to form and formality and ritual training in Zen. It's, it's something we offer. It's not for everyone. <laughs> but how can that intersect with repression? Or like, while devoted to these traditional forms of practice, how can I also open space for something, you know, more free, or more dance-like, or more sensual, or more, you know, including sexuality, not or not excluding it? And um, so I, th I feel like I feel like I, you know, like honoring all the kind of layers of harm, and also you know, there's this like potential for harm in like all directions, and I could feel that can make me feel like maybe I just shouldn't move at all, you know, just or just like paralysis or frozen. But then being frozen, again, it's, it's still harm. Um, in the version of the precepts on our website, Brooklyn Zen Center website, we say, to respect every person's whole being and not misuse sexuality. So we kind of added this positive part, which is, which is part of how we work with the precepts. Um, you know, to give some shape to like, these aren't just prohibitions, or it's not just not, not what to do. There's a living heart of these precepts that's manifesting in the world. So, 
respecting every person's whole being. Uh, sometimes we say these precepts are Buddha nature precepts. So they're not like, they're not rules out there to fix me. They're rules of our true nature. The precepts of our whole being. Or precepts of becoming whole. And so you're opening spaces for integrating spirituality and sexuality. So that my sexuality can be imbued with the wisdom of relationality and the, the gentleness and the kindness of compassion and the skillfulness flowing you know, from liberating my conditioning. So there are there are maybe infinitely many unfoldings of liberative manifestation, and then and then in, what's in, in sexuality and gender in particular, something amazingly and wonderfully variable. And saying, you know, how do we honor this? Um. I see the question of manifesting sexuality and gender as a koan. You know, and I show up here as a, as a priest uh, in the Soto Zen tradition. And this reflects, you know, something very deep and important to me. And there is like, there's some queerness in me that maybe doesn't obviously show up here. And I don't know how. Actually, this would happen. <laughs> but I wonder how to take care of it. How to care, you know, for a koan of embodiment, or a koan of complete self-expression. And, you know, a koan of working with my dharma heart, my queerness, my fear. And, and and showing up that that being whole isn't something I do by myself. We're, we're whole together. Not, but not as like objects. We're not like becoming whole objects. We're becoming whole embodied subjectivities together. And you know, in my queerness and particularity, you know, I've been harmed by patriarchy even while I was like shaped by patriarchy. But I received, I received very early on messages, you know, that parts of me are not okay. And I still, they were still like very clearly parts of me. And I was just like, those you can't express. That you're supposed to keep that not expressed. So how is, how is, my sexuality included in practice? How is it included in the Sangha culture we make together? And part of this is also, part of this is 
deeply embracing embodiment. My body, flesh, bones, you know, muscle, organs. You know, doing the activity of loving this body as a kind of as a liberating act. Accepting this body, loving this body and this face, who I am, exactly as I am. You know, and this this body, this is like a a dear and fleeting thing, non-thing. This is this is my home. You know, and as I allow this to be my home, I can be a refuge. Uh, Thich Nhat Hanh says, you know, be beautiful, be yourself. And so becoming whole is you know, not something I do on my own and then impose on others. We become whole together. It includes each other. And allowing sexuality and gender to be changing, evolving, relational, like living processes, and potentially complex or ambiguous, or a koan, an unfolding mystery. And no one, you know, not even my past self, gets to tell me who I am. No one gets to tell you who you are. So this is like, you know, how do we take up the Buddha nature precept of sexuality? And, you know, caring for my desire at its roots and kind of and that there's an innate goodness or okayness or beauty of desire sensuality and sexuality you know at the root you know more basic or or innocent of any kind of dualistic reductive overlay All right, I have one more thing to say. It's short. So Dogen has a comment on this precept. Let the three wheels be pure. So I just want to change that word pure to whole. So let the three wheels be whole, like round and complete. And, you know, there's various versions of what these three wheels are. They can be like letting the three wheels of body, speech, and mind be whole, letting the three wheels of self, object, and action um, be whole, letting the three wheels of giver, receiver, and gift be whole, be actualized by myriad things, honoring the three wheels. Genjo Cohen says, like, whole worlds are there. So, thank you very much. May our intention equally penetrate our Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the Brooklyn Zen Center. 
Our programs are given free of charge and made possible by the donations we receive. For more information on supporting Brooklyn Zen Center, please visit the giving section of brooklynzen.org.